Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford. I'm your host and also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. If you're just listening, the Inside Scoop is a podcast dedicated to helping you learn about the soccer pathways that would be available to your child if you lived in another city around the world. We've traveled all over the world and we're going back to where we started. We're going back to the UK today and we have a wonderful show lined up for you guys. Now, before we get started, if you haven't checked out Anytime Soccer Training, I encourage you to do so. For those of you who are just joining us, Anytime Soccer Training is a website that will host over a thousand follow along um, training videos covering all the areas of individual skill development. We launched and we have some special promotions going on as well. So feel free to drop me a line or go to www.anytime-soccer.com. And some of the initial feedback I've gotten on the product has been good. I'm gonna do a lot of work to improve it. But one of the most common questions I get is, you know, how is Anytime Soccer training different than many of the other programs out there. And I gotta tell you something, and I, I'm, I'm a parent trainer first, and I'm always gonna be straight up with you. All these programs as a parent trainer, when you're looking into all these programs, I kind of liken them to diet programs. They all work if you stick with them, right? So, so there's not a lot of things that folks are offering you in terms of supplemental training or do that or do that that doesn't work. It's just really about you sticking with it and being committed. And what we try to do with Anytime Soccer Training is make that process a little easier for you and your child. And to boot, you know, as a parent trainer, I believe you gotta use everything in your toolbox to support your child. And they can be quite fickle. So one, one year it might be this program, next year it might be this coach, next year it might be this thing. So we've priced uh, Anytime Soccer Training to just so that it's not something where you have to make an either or decision. You're gonna get so much content thousands and thousands of videos for less than a dinner for two and you can kind of try it out and see if it works for you and if it doesn't then we'll give you your money back so that's enough about that that's anytime soccer training now we're going to go on to the show inside scoop i'm so excited to invite our special guest curtis curtis i might mess up your last name my my listeners know i always mess up names because i'm from the country uh it you just say it yeah yeah curtis pottinger Pottinger, 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 Pottinger. Yes. Curtis Pottinger. Welcome to the show. Now, guys, Curtis is a football coach in the UK, um, Birmingham is exactly. You know, in the States, we say Birmingham. Y'all say Birmingham. And he, <laughs> caught, he caught my attention because he posted something in another Facebook group where he asked the parents if they have a parent philosophy. Of course, you got crickets because I don't think most people are, are serious thinkers. But folks who listen to my show know that's exactly the type of coach that I got to get on the show. That's the one I want to talk to. So, Curtis, once we finish with the Inside Scoop, I'm going to invite you back to our other series, Raising the Whole Child, so that you can talk about, you know, you can expand on what motivated you to post that about a parent philosophy and what role you think that has in how a parent can actively nurture their child's passion and I kind of liken it to starting a fire yeah you got to blow a little bit but if you blow too hard you put it out 
But if you do nothing, you know, it can burn, but there's a chance it won't. So, so that's kind of the yin-yang we, we like to talk about here on the show. All right, with no further ado, Curtis, introduce yourself and then we'll get started. Well, I've been coaching for over, just about over 16 years now. So um, I also run an organization called Let's Play the Game, um, where we work with parents and players, helping them to develop skillful players with good a tactical game awareness. Um, I've also I've been working in schools as well, teach PE, and I've um, got numerous coaching qualifications. The highest one is a level five sports coaching diploma and also the local FA level two coaching and FA level one futsal, futsal as well. So I coach futsal as well. And um, yeah, that's basically it. Okay, good. So you got a lot of um, pedigree and you obviously are committed to what you're doing. And I want to dig a little bit into that and maybe even ask you a few questions about futsal and how you got involved in that as well. Okay, so let's go on to the show. So for our lo loyal listeners, they know the way I like to tee the show up is, excuse me, I will give you the basic overview of, of the soccer pathways that would be available to your child if they were to move to Cary, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. And what I always tell my guests, and, you know, I'll publicly say this, we want to think about big categories first, and then we're going to drill into each, each one. So if you move to Cary, North Carolina, the first thing I have to explain to you is we are under a pay-to-play system. No matter where you play, no matter how you play, unless, unless your father just created a team and he just was doing it for the love or your mother did it, you're going to pay to play. And what that means is parents, regardless of the highest level, you can play for the equivalent of Manchester United. And there are a couple of exceptions to that, which I'll talk to, I'll talk to you about. Parents are going to pay the, the bulk of the tuition. We do have scholarship opportunities, need-based scholarships, but it's important that you understand that we're in a pay-to-play system, so you're going to have to pay. How much you pay is going to be depending, is going to depend on the various levels that your child decides to play. So at the very bottom level, we have a, uh, and this is also something I'm learning that our categories are pretty well defined. At the very bottom level, we have a we have recreational programs, yeah. and I'm going to go kind of quick, um, Curtis, and feel free to ask a question, but because our listeners have heard this speech many times, yeah. we have recreational programs. What's important to understand about the U.S. versus probably in the U.K. is our professional organizations all the way down to a local uh, Catholic church or or municipality or you know other churches or other organizations or anybody can create a recreational they all create recreational program so Manchester United in this example would have a recreational program and that and, and it's almost like intramural for the kids and then your local municipality for us it's Cary Parks and Rec will have recreational programs and those are just for kids just to have fun just to kick the ball around just they do have they have games they have one practice a week but it's not that series serious yeah. and the ser and the season might be eight weeks now moving on along then we have an in-between um league or team structure we call challenge yeah. now in challenge you start weeding out the organizations who offer a challenge program 
So there, again, the equivalent of Manchester United will offer a challenge program. And then we have other football clubs that are not linked to professional teams, but they play all the way up to the highest level at the youth system that also offer challenge clubs. And so you probably ask yourself, well, why in the world with, you know, Man United, you know, do a challenge program for kids who don't have professional or even college aspirations, but want a little bit more than yeah. the recreational program. The reason they do that is because again, we're in pay to play. So they're creating, you know, um, products, if you will, for parents to put their kids in that supplement the other more serious programs, right? And that's where they make the bulk of their revenue. Okay. So a challenge program, what that will look like is mommy and daddy will still coach, but the expectations for them will be higher. So they'll probably have like a grassroots license or they'll be really engaged. And they'll okay. also get support from um, a licensed coach. And they will play in tournaments and they will practice twice a week. But technically, uh, athletically, all the leads you want to throw out there, they will not be at the level of the kids that play the more competitive. Which brings me to the next point. Then we have what we call travel soccer. So if you see the word travel soccer, that's a general term that yeah. can mean a lot of things. But what it really boils down to is a 10-month, at least a 10-month, competitive soccer program offered at the various ages and it will be a little different at each age so at the younger ages like my son is 10 he can play, he'll play in a travel program but one thing that's very different is I think it's different they they they're not really part of an academy until they get to about U12 it's not the same way as in the UK they are part of a they can be part of a club that has an academy but that academy doesn't really start until U12 or U13. And so they're part of what you call a pre-academy. Okay. And, that, and that they're still on teams. They're still competitive. They're still licensed coaches. But they're slowly working their way to make the academy team at U12, U13. Hmm. I say that because culturally, it, from what I can understand, even at the younger ages, in, in various countries, the kids who are playing at the highest level have an idea in their head that the goal, soccer-wise, and I know clubs do a lot more than just pump out football players, but soccer-wise, the, you know, the pot at the end of the tunnel is the first team. It's not so crystal clear in America because they don't really cut you per se. You can be on all these different teams and playing at different yeah. levels. And so in the minds of many of the kids, they're just playing soccer or they're just playing competitive soccer. They're not thinking about this as I want to be on the first team. I see the person on the first team and I want to play his position in yeah. 10 years. They don't, they don't see it like that. No, yeah. not necessarily. Now, there are other way, other pathways. You can play. We have futsal leagues. We don't. Our futsal leagues are not as structured as our grass leagues because those leagues are a lot older. We yeah. are developing more of a national futsal um, network. Uh, but yeah, you can play futsal. Most of the futsal teams that you can play for here in my area, they are created by folks who coach, just like you coach normal teams, and then create futsal. 
Well, yeah. we don't have as much, which is what I hope to see in the future. We don't have people, as many people trained to do futsal, and that's kind of what they do. And it's more like this is a supplemental opportunity yeah. for kids who play grass. Nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, that's better than being on Fortnite. But you might, if you came over here, you might say to yourself, oh, that's really just indoor soccer masquerading as futsal. Being yeah. a little critical there, but just trying to help you picture that. Then we have other leagues that I'll say are not part of the mainstream where you can play. And I'm not going to go into the details in that yet, but just to say if you moved here and, and you said, I came from the UK and I think I have something to offer, you and I could get together. We could create a team. Mm -hmm. That team that team would be considered a recreational team until we did all the paperwork necessary to be recognized by U.S. soccer or U.S. club soccer, which are our big governing bodies. So I said a lot there, but the biggest yeah. takeaways I want you to get from this is, hey, we got pay to play. We have these well-defined categories of play. Our largest, most professional clubs still offer all these pathways, which is a little unusual around the rest of the world. But the reason they do that is because of pay to play. Yeah. And then our academies don't start until you're really young. And then even if you try out for the equivalent of Manchester United and you don't make their academy, there are other teams that you can play within that under the Manchester United umbrella. And so my hypothesis is, and one of the reasons I created the Inside Scoop is, my personal hypothesis based on no research is American kids who or part of families who can afford that middle ground where they're not good enough to play for the academy team, but they also want to get top level coaching and yeah. get in a competitive experience. I think they are been, they benefit a little bit from the pay to play because they're organizations who create themselves effectively to cater to that group where my hypothesis is that group is not really catered to in the rest of the world as much. So if you don't make that academy team, you're just scraping, scraping, scraping to do whatever you got to do to get there. So that's my hypothesis. You can, you can challenge me on that because you would have a better view. All right. So that's how it works in the U.S. I'm going to shut up. I want to hear. I moved to Birmingham, U.K. Yeah. And I tell you, I got my 10-year-old. You don't know anything about him. I say, I want to play football. What yeah. are the pathways that are available? And then we'll dig into those. Well, if I was to start from the bottom, um, comparison to your recreational, um, oh, we have regional leagues. Um, so let's say the local regional league here is the Warsaw League. And the, we would actually find a team within that Warsaw League. So that would be the first stage. So you would look for a team there. Um, you probably find it online and you would pick a team and you would send your team into that team. There is no barrier, really. To these teams or there shouldn't be you do hear teams that sometimes have a trial basis but majority of the teams there is no barrier to join these teams it's not based on ability um we don't obviously run a pay-to-play system um there that you normally pay between 25 pounds and 30 pounds a month to to join these teams which is probably like i don't know 30 dollars over there and um, and then you can just play for a team. And I would say the next stage over here in this area would be what is called the JPL League. And now that is a junior Premier League. Now, it, I would say that's just above the recreational. 
And um, this, the, the standards in that league are a bit higher than the recreational because all the coaches have to be at least level two qualified. So um, you're expecting a, at least a level two qualified coach at your team. So um, in, the rec in the regional leagues, you wouldn't have that because it could be a parent or it could be anybody who decides to take over a team and they don't have to have any qualifications to take over that team. So the standards vary. Um, but if you were to play in the JPL or the MJPL, they have to be level two qualified at least. So there's a certain level and the quality of teams in that league are also um, a lot better as well. So um, um, if you were to have a stage above that, then you would have what is the, called the pre-academy. Now the pre-academy are normally affiliated with um, the local academy teams. So for example, our local teams are Aston Villa, um, Warsaw, Wolverhampton Wanderers, West Bromwich Albion. Um, they all tend to have what is called a pre-academy. Now the pre-academy is they cannot sign anybody that is um, below the age of nine years old. So they have to put them into what is called the pre-academy. Um, so basically it's like, a, it's basically keeping an eye on them until they become of age so they can join the, um, the academy if they deem them to be good enough. Um, the next stage would be the development stage. Um, so when they're above the age of nine, but they, they believe that not, they're still not quite there for the academy, they have the, what is the development level. So academies will have um, development teams to try and basically bring them up to the level of the academies. And it's, it's basically them keeping an eye on, eye on them again. And above that stage, you then have the academy. So um, they cannot sign for an academy until obviously they're nine years old. And um, once they're in the academy, obviously they have, they normally are UIPB qualified coaches, which is a level three. And um, so the standard of coaching is expected to be higher. And, 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 and the, they play within, they normally can only take players within the local area. So Aston Villa, like I stated, Warsaw, Wolverhampton Wanderers and West Bromwich Albion are the ones that are operating in the area that I am. Um, and so that's a basic overlook of how it works around in Birmingham. All right, that's perfect. So now let me unpack a couple of things. Yeah. When you play for that region, those that regional category of, is that, can that go all the way up until they're you, you know, 18 or something until they're an adult? And another way of asking, and then another way of asking that, are those, local clubs that go all the way up to men's grown league and they also just offer kids programs? Uh, yeah, yeah, you can. Because so, for example, they, the, the regional start from seven years old, so six or seven years old, and it, will, and it can go up all the way to the 18 years old. So um, you will have teams right throughout the age groups. Um, you might have some clubs who don't have every age group, but a lot of them will follow that pathway right up until the 18. And if they have an adults team, they can go straight into the adults team as well. And so when someone, and then we're going to get to uh, each one, but when someone says, I play, I'm playing grassroots, is that all the way, anything below pre-academy? Yeah, yeah, it will be. Okay, now what does MJPL stand for? Uh, it stands for the Midland JPL League. 
Okay. So, but yeah, what's the yeah. difference between that and the? I know you. I know the difference, but why do they call it Midland JPL versus JPL? Um, because what you have the JPL, that's the Junior Premier League, and you have the Midland JPL. So they're they're, they're quite similar, but um, I think they consider the JPL as the the, the, the main league. So that they're affiliated with the same league, but you have the JPL and you have the Midland JPL league. So okay, you, yeah. So it's, now, like, it's like saying you've got the Premier League and you've got the Championship, if to put it so. I'll say the JPL is the Premier League, the MJPL is the Championship. I understand that. Now, let's assume you don't know how good my child is. You have no idea. You've never seen them. Yeah. And I just told you, I, I tell you they're pretty good, they're pretty competitive, and I want to get them into soccer. Which of these categories are you going to tell me to to take them to a club that's based are you let me let me say it another way are you going to tell me to take them to a club based on where they're playing this league or are you going to tell me to take them to the local club and don't worry about the leagues in other words the leagues are not that important at the grassroots level well for me um if it was me and you was asking me and you're saying that they were at this level i would probably recommend that you go to a jpl team um, because for one, the, the standard of coaching is likely to be better, and also the standard of competition is likely to be better as well. So it would probably serve your child a lot more than it would going to one of the regional teams. Um, you can find good regional leagues as well, but um, like I said, the coaching can really vary. So um, so it won't it wouldn't be I, I wouldn't I wouldn't advise you to probably go straight to that route if he's if he's of a certain level where they can you know they could probably progress push on and progress so i feel that would be better for their development okay and we're going to go right back onto these pathways but just to help me picture because i'm a parent so you know as much as i have trouble sleeping i don't read coaching levels that often yeah what are the basic coaching levels starting from the bottom is to the top to the best of your memory okay so um they would start with level one so that over here is fa level one which is the football association level one that's all, that's the basic requirement really that you have to take um that that's mainly saying that you you're allowed to assist a coach who is a level two now once you're level two qualified um you're then you're you're then able to take groups and coach groups on your own um, then you would have what is the level three, which is the, basically the way for B, um, which is um, an adult's qualification. So ages above 13 and upwards, you are, you, you are classes you can coach and it's mainly what the academies look for. And you, then you have the A license, which is just higher level and working with academies and working with adult teams in, within within a pro structure as well. Um, alongside that over here, we also have what is called the FA Youth Module 3. Now the FA Youth Module is, is basically the, um, it's basically a kid's version of the UEFA B. So um, if you want like the high, one of the highest qualifications in youth football to have, it will be to go towards the UEFA B, well, the FA Youth Module 3. So there's a few different pathways that you can take over here in terms of your coaching, in your coaching levels. Okay, and then the highest level. So Arsene Wenger, what does he have? Or does he have yeah, the They would have the pro license. 
So that will be the, the UEFA Pro Licence Award. Um, once you have that, um, you, you, you'll be able to obviously take over and manage a pro team. So you would have to have the Pro Licence Award. Okay. So now, putting that into perspective, now we go up to the pre-academy programs. What level of coaching do are in general will they be? Level two? I would say, yeah, they, they can be level two um, in the pre-academy. And they, they tend to be, what they have is they tend to run community schemes, the academies here, a bit similar to what you were talking about to your teams over there. And um, normally those community groups, those community organisations that they have affiliated with the academy, they will be level two. You might get some at a level three, but um, I would say on average, they are mainly level two. Okay. All right. So now if I play for one of these regional teams, how many days my kid played for one of these regional teams, yeah. how many days a week will he or she practice in general? They would practice normally on average once a week and then they'll play a game. You'll get some that will play twice a week, but mainly, like my son currently plays for one, he, they train once a week, and um, that will normally happen midweek, or it might happen on a Saturday, and then last between an hour and an, an hour and 30 minutes. And how uh, old is your son? My son is 11. Okay, yeah. so he's 11, and he plays on one of these regional teams? Uh, yeah, he does play for one of those regional teams, yeah. Okay. And then how much, if you're moving up the ladder, how much are they practicing and what kind of coaching are they getting at the JPL level? We'll skip the MJPL for now. Uh, the, the JPL, they will train normally on average twice a week, I would say. Uh, most of the ones I know, they train twice a week and then they have their matches as well. Um, they, like I said, they're normally around an hour and a half sessions. And like I said, the coaching standards tends to be a bit higher because they have to be within level two at least before they can deliver their sessions. Um, and they are, there are quite a few within our area. Um, so you, you can, I think they, they, it started off a few years ago and there's about 83 teams now across the country um, that are, I would say JPL affiliated or around the Midlands, because it's not, it's not a national thing, it's around the Midlands. So there's around 83 teams now that are involved in the JPL. In the JPL, they will play in their own league. Yeah, yeah. So and then, can they get promoted, relegated, and all that kind of stuff? Um, yeah, because you like I said, you've got the MJPL and you've got the JPL, and um, I, I I haven't really worked within a JPL. This is what I know from people that I work with who have worked with within the JPL. But they have. Um, I think they have more than one league. Like the MJPL, I think they have one, and they have MJPL two. So. I would assume they will have promotion and relegation within that one as well. Okay, so now we're moving along. Do JPL clubs ever play against pre-academy clubs? Um, I have heard that they do. I think what, what you can find is that you will have some, some academy teams will put their, put their teams within the JPL so they can play within it because, of, because the standards is of, a, is of a good standard. And they'll play. They'll put their teams in there as well. Um, pre academy, pre academy teams don't really play matches in leagues. Really, um, I think it's more like I said, it's more of a development thing. So they will they will come and they will train with coaches affiliated with West Brom or West Brom in the community, 
um, and they don't really play league matches, from what I understand. Okay, so in in your area, from what you understand, the pre academy kids will go there for a day. All right, yeah. so let me tell you, we interviewed a, a, a young man that played at Luton. Yeah. He was in their pre-academy, and the way he described the way Luton's pre-academy works is it runs in parallel, age by age, with the academy. And yeah. the pre-academy folks, kids, are trying to compete to get into the academy. And, and obviously, if you're in the academy, you're trying to stay in the academy. Yeah. And the pre-academy did play games. Yeah, he, I'm trying to think through it. They did play games but he still trained with his grassroots club yeah. as well. Um, but then at the same time, I interviewed someone in Manchester. I think they have that similar situation, but as, as the kids got to a certain age, the pre-academy kids, definitely the academy kids, would be too dominant to play in those lower leagues. Yeah. So now that I gave you that perspective, so you're telling me that it's more of a keep an eye on them the training opportunity to get exposure to the coaches and these kids will still pick up their games probably in the JPL? Um, I would say, because uh, my son, he, 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 he got offered to go play for the pre-academy at West Brom when he was below the age of nine. And um, my view on it was really, they, they would pick a lot of kids that they thought maybe had potential and they would bring them along. Like I said, there might be, maybe some academy teams do it differently, but the way West Brom did it, they had a, a number of kids that they invited along from. They, they would recognise them at schools or maybe sessions that they held on, held them, and they would ask him to come. And it was mainly um, a development session where they would just train every week. And I think maybe I heard they'll play, they'll get, they'll set up games to play um, maybe friendlies, but they weren't associated in the league from what I knew. And maybe they do it differently in different parts of the country, but that's what West Brom, that's how they've done it. And, and I think Villa probably do it similar as well. Um, I, think, I think the developments, they will probably associate them in more games. But again, I, I, I think it's still on a similar, more of a development side. So how did, in terms of your West Brom, how did they commute? What's the story behind that? How did they see your son? And how do they communicate to you that they want him to come? And then is it looked, and then culturally, is it looked at as something other than I'm just going to come and train at West Brom? Or is it looked at as, you know, boy, this is my shot. I got to really make this thing happen. What is that conversation like? How does that work? I would say it's more, you know, them, them asking you to come along and train with them. Um, obviously, because the kids hear West Brom and they know that, you know, it's a it's a championship team at the moment, but they're going into a Premier League. They think, oh, oh it's, a prim it's, a, it's a professional team. So the kids get really excited. But um, because I'm obviously I'm a coach and I know how it works, I ask more questions. I, I, I see through it. I saw it more as, as a, just a training, them keeping an eye on the kids or having a look at them and um, getting the kids involved in a training session where they could maybe develop them to a level and try and get them into either their developments or their, maybe their academy teams as well. Um, I, 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 I was, I'll be honest, I'm not a major fan of it because I, I think it, I don't think it really gives the kids much. And I think the standard of coaching within the pre-academy, not saying it's like this at other academies, but from what I saw, wasn't all that different from what I've seen 
at local organisations as well. So um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I wouldn't recommend it was it's a great pathway for kids for kids to go on really the pre academy. Okay, so let's unpack that because that's always another question I ask is when you go into these uh, entry I'll say entry level pre-academy or youth academy what am I going to see in terms of the level of coaching from yeah. where you came from but before you answer that let me just ask though but literally how do they tell you do they I don't even know if you remember but do they send you a letter do they call yeah. you do they talk to your coach how does it actually happen and then how well, do they ask you for any money um we did have to pay um we had to pay on a termly basis um, I couldn't remember what actual, the actual price of it, but we did have to pay. It was more than what you'd normally pay for um, an organisation coaching. Um, how they notified me, because they came into my son's school, you see their community organisation, and they gave my son a letter inviting him to come along to the pre-academy because they obviously, he used to go to a extracurricular club at the school, which they ran. And um, they noticed that, you know, he had some ability playing. So they gave him a, an invite to come to the pre-academy so they could um, have, him, have him train there. So, um, oh, okay. Yeah. So, so let me unpack this part then. So West Brom, the football organization, runs an after-school program, happened to run an after-school program. Is that in your child's school? Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. that after-school program is literally like, hey, this is West Brom. We're offering after school and it's going to be soccer? Yeah, basically, yeah. That's how it was, yeah. Now, if you're putting your most cynical hat on possible, do they do these programs as yet another way to recruit and spot talent early? I, My honest opinion, I think it's more about them generating an income, if you was to ask me. Um, I think they, they invite, like I said, they don't invite everybody, but they invite you know, certain kids to come along. And if they happen to have ability, they, I would say they would refer them on. But I think it's more of them another revenue stream because, you know, you, you've got to pay for it just like you would have to pay for professional coaching if you were to take it to an organisation. And, um, yeah, and it's because it's West Brom, they charge slightly higher than most. Um, so it did come across more of, as a revenue stream for the for the actual club okay that makes sense yeah. and i can understand that yeah. um so if you're just joining us this is neil crawford with the inside scoop and i'm speaking to curtis portatinka it's any more foreign that way pottinger <laughs> <laughs> i'm making it harder than it needs to be pottinger yeah. Yeah. and he's in he's in the uk in Birmingham and he's an established coach there and he also has a son that's 11 is, that has some experiences with with this stuff and so I'm just picking his brain on exactly what it would be like and, and let me unpack or let me summarize where we're at now in the UK in your area uh, and, and I can tell you that everybody has different answers about the details so there's no right or wrong because each club does things a little bit differently you have this regional then you have MJPL, then you have JPL. So those are some of the grassroots cat categories. Then you can go up to pre-academy. Pre some academies offer another developmental type center opportunity to train if you're right on the cusp of getting into um, academy. A lot of that is also based on age because sometimes they want to get you in earlier, earlier than they can quote unquote sign you for the academy. And then you go on to academy. And then we talked about the different level of coaching so in those 
regional leagues, you'll probably have the lowest level of coaching or even a mom or dad, and it gets higher as you go. You, you more than likely, when you start getting into the pre-academy, you'll get at, you'll, your coach will be a level two. But talking to someone on the ground like you, you're saying, hey, be a little careful because it's not a quantum leap necessarily between the level of coaching and what you would get in your local club, grassroots club, to those pre-academy um, training centers. And then again, there's no judgment there. It's just the way it's set up. Uh, they're casting a wider net. Uh, and then they're going to slowly start weeding folks out. But a benefit to them is obviously there's a, a profit center there, profit motive there because you're paying. Now, in terms of the regional, something I forgot to ask, how many weeks, how long is a season typically when you're at that low, those lower levels? Um, it would start, a season, typical season would start from September, about September and it would finish around March, April. I'd say April, it normally finishes around. So it would range from that period and um, they'll play a game mostly every weekend. Um, occasionally they'll have a break week, but up until that, up until that period, until around April is when it will carry on till. Okay, so now let's assume um, I bring my son, I tell you I want him to play, and he is lights out. So you sign him up. I'm sorry, you see him playing and you're like, oh, my goodness, this, this, you didn't tell me he was messy and Marcus yeah. Rash put together. He's the greatest thing. Yeah. Now, are you, do people say get West Brom on the phone and, and tell them to come look at this kid? Or does and have a special situation, or does that child still need to go through the same route of playing for a regional team or MPL, uh, MJPL team or JPL team, and then they're scoring goals or they're just some amazing thing, and then scouts take notice, or how does that work for those that two percent of top players? Um, it will be a scouting, so it, they would have to be seen um, from a scout. I have heard and I do know that if People do know of scouts. So, for example, let's say the club um, have a little li have a link with local teams, and um, and they have no local. For example, my son who uh, who he plays for, they have links with local teams with local pro academies. Um, sometimes, what you can find is you know they're doing really well, and they may come along more often to that club, and they'll be seen by a scout, and a scout will obviously ask them to come for a trial at their local academy. So it has to be really seen from a scout and they have to re request for you to come to their local team, to their local academy set up. Uh, so that's how, it, that's how it works really across the board really in England. Yeah, so um, understood that. So you, you're, if I come to you and you see my kid and this next thing says messy, you're still saying you got to play in these leagues, I'll get you in the best JPL situation possible, but yeah. you just need to really play well and they will find you. Yeah, that's basically what we're saying because they, they, won't, just, they won't just take you on. They, they would want to see you. Um, I mean, there are some pro teams who will have all controls, not many. Like, for example, sometimes Warsaw, which is a local, they play in what is the league, league is it League One or League Two? And they will they will have open trials sometimes, um, but like say the Premier and the Championship teams very rarely have open trials, and you have to be invited for you to 
you know, have the opportunity to play for that team. So unless unless you're playing for a local regional team or MJPL or JPL um, on a regular basis, and you know, then you get a reputation for yourself. Um, you, you won't you won't be able to play for those academy teams. So you have to be invited. Okay, so when you're eight years old, before you can be signed for academy, if you're lights out, you're the best thing since Messi. The highest level that you can still play at, you you can't play in academy yet, even at yeah. eight in your area. You can't sign. So yeah, so they will have you as a, in the pre academy. So you can't sign for them um, officially until you are nine years old. So um, anything else below that, they will have to have you in the pre academy. And what does signing mean when you're nine? What does that mean? So let me give you an example. So let me tell you from the state's perspective. We don't think about it like that until you get older. For us, you just pay your money and you do sign a contract, but it's not, you know, it's a contract almost like you're buying, you have an obligation to stay with this club for a year. And if you don't, there could be some financial um, repercussions. They may or may not enforce that, but it's not signing in the, when I hear the word signing, I think pro. Yeah. What, what does uh, signing mean at nine? Yeah, maybe put it a different way. So, yeah, it's similar to that. It's you are signing in a, an academy contract, basically. So you would sign because just like with our regional teams, you have to sign a form in order to join that local regional team. With an academy, you would have to sign their papers in order for you to join that academy and represent and play for that academy. Um, obviously, once you become an adult and or above the age of 16, you can sign a pro contract and you can obviously have a professional contract, but it's not a professional contract. It's, it's an academy contract, so you can play and represent their academy. That's how and, but what happens is after you, what happens if after you sign that contract, then two weeks later, you're like, oh, Arsenal called, I want to leave. How does that work? Um, what do you mean at an academy? If you saw yeah, so you sign that you sign yeah. an academy contract, say at ten years old, and then yeah. two weeks later you want to leave, what happens? Um, I would, from what because I haven't actually worked within an academy structure. From from my knowledge, what would happen is that that team that would be interested in that other player would have to um, they would have to come to some sort of agreement with that academy, that local academy team. So um, whether it is they pay some form of compensation, which is what normally happens, um, they would have to, yeah, probably play some, pay some form of compensation for them to be moved to that local team or come to some own agreements for them to go to another academy team. Um, so I, I, there may be some other areas that happen, but for my knowledge, that how it, that's how it normally works. Yeah, now that you mentioned that, I spoke to someone in London, I think that's how it works. And what happens at the lower, younger levels, even the parents may have to pay it. So the parents may want to leave and then they have to pay the compensation in order to get the child almost, quote unquote, released. Or the club will pay, the club that they're going to will pay the compensation. But there is compensation. There is some negotiation there. But if I understand correctly, though, you can't sign those deals at those younger ages for longer than a year, right? What, what, what age are you? What age you? Like nine, about? ten, eleven. Those contracts uh, are only one year, right? Um, I, I honestly, I wouldn't know that because, like I said, I haven't worked within the academy structure. 
but um, it, it it could quite possibly be if that's your, if that's your knowledge what you've heard. Um, if it's a year, then it could possibly be. Hey, <laughs> oh, yeah. don't don't take my word for it. Because yeah. uh, if any li if anybody listening here wants to yeah. chime in on exactly how it works, please do so. But yeah. you're gonna be in um you're gonna be in a world of trouble if you take the uh professional advice of neil crawford on okay. academy contract yeah, we'll have to look into that's, that, that I, i've got friends who work with in the, in the academy so i'd have to ask them if that's the duration that they have to sign um i couldn't give you an honest answer on that one don't worry <laughs> what we'll do is when we post the show on the facebook group we'll yeah. follow up on that and i'm actually interviewing uh, a guest next week actually this week but it'll appear the show will appear in a few weeks whose daughter plays in I think one of these developmental systems within the Arsenal Academy, he's in London. So yeah. I'll, I'll ask him how it works, how it worked with his child. And I think she's 10. Okay, yeah. so we're moving right along. So now you're in this academy, you've reached it, the pinnacle of soccer at 10 years old. Um, and I'm laughing because the journey is so long. And so I'm just so used yeah. to seeing, you know, how you see the, um, news articles where they have the kid with the pen and signing the contract. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, not. I'm like, okay, good. So anyways, so with that being said, what you're in the academy at 10 years old, or you take your son, let's say tomorrow your son was transplanted into West Brom Academy. What would you be seeing differently in terms of the level of coaching, in terms of the level of talent, in terms of the level of commitment, the number of contact hours, you know, expectations from the parents, what is going to be different? It, well, it will be, it would be a lot of difference um, from, from, from a lot of parents who I know, who I've worked with, because I obviously work one-to-one -one and a lot of players I've worked with, they were affiliated with an academy or they play for an academy. And um, the environment is a lot different. It's a lot. There's a lot more pressure on the child, and um, because it it should be more it should be more about development and improving the child. But um, a lot of the time, it's 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 a lot of pressure on the child to perform at you know at an elite level, and um, you know and to get results for the team as well. And there um, yeah, it would uh, range normally the training between two and three times a week. So not that, all that different from the JPL, from my knowledge. Um, so let me unpack that. And I know you, you and you're being generous with us because I know you don't work exclusively with academies. But if I threw out an extreme example, they're not they're not practicing, say, 11 year olds at five, five days a week. So is that to your knowledge? That's not happening to my knowledge. No. Um, because I, I don't think they do. I think it's normally two to three because two to three days. Yeah, two to three days I would say because they've also got school to attend with and other things that they got to attend with. So for the, I think for them to ask kids that young to train five times a week would be a lot. Um, so for my knowledge, it's two to three. I would say that they would. And take then, how many kids, to your knowledge, will be in each? Um, I don't know, co cohort of ages. And let me give you an example. So my buddy son in Luton, he was yeah. part of the pre-academy and they, in the pre-academy for each age, they had two teams, but they were based on late location. So they had about 30 kids. And then running parallel, they had one academy team. And then once those kids got to a certain age, 
those two teams had those two pre-academy teams and that one academy team had to consolidate into one academy team i'm saying that to say um if you were to go into west brom academy or whatever academy from your understanding is it just one academy team per age and then everybody else is part of those other training pools like a pre-academy pool or a developmental pool from my understanding it's it's one team um like i said i could i could be wrong but from what i from what i've heard and what i know um i only ever normally hear that they have one main team um that they you know because like lots of grassroots teams have a number of teams but from what i know in academies that's not the case so yeah. and do they do they to your knowledge do they just play each other like other academies to my knowledge um mainly yes I think what you find with some academies as well, like I said, I know some academies play some JPL teams and um, they may even enter them in the JPL league as well. But mainly from what I hear, they play over academy teams. Yeah. Now, I'm going to ask you another hypothetical, which you may or may not have a view on is really hypothetical, but it's just to help me picture how the, the skills gap. Yeah. I take an academy player who's been in the academy, let's say he's 10 or 11, he's been in the academy for two years. And then I take that child and I put them back into a JPL team. As an innocent bystander, just, you know, just watching the game, will I notice that this, one, this particular child is really special? Or is the talent gap that wide? Um, it, it, like I said, it, it is, I think, I think there's some JPL teams. I don't think the talent, my, my, um, view on it. I, I wouldn't say it would be with J, some JPL teams. It would be that different. Um, this is just going from what I've seen. And but there are, there, you know, uh, there are there are some academy teams that will have, you know, quite high level, quite high level players. But I don't think it's that drastically different in terms of the level that they play at. Um, but there's the odd ones I've seen that I would say some of their players are, are you know. Not all that difference, I would say. But obviously, if they feel that they're of an academy level, then they will be in academy level. But I don't think they're drastically different, if you were to ask me. So then when they start getting older, U16, U17, do you see a huge difference at that point? Um, I, I, I couldn't tell you because, if I was to be honest, I haven't really seen enough at that level, in that age, for me to give an honest opinion on it. So... Um, I wouldn't be able to tell you in terms of the JPL and in and in academies and in the academies is is the level that different because I I'm, I just simply haven't worked through that. Age no, level. and that's fine, and that's yeah. totally totally fine. Okay, because because the, the way the show works is I ask you guys around the world all types of questions. I ask you, I purposely say, and I talk to you about this. Do not prepare. As a matter of fact, I don't even want you to prepare. I want you to tell me what you've seen, what you haven't seen. Because what we do is we're interviewing folks all over the world in all these different cities, and then we're starting to put it all together. So some yeah. know a little bit of this, some know a little bit of that, and it works itself out. Now, you were the culture, and you were getting into the pressure. So if I had to generalize in, the, in America, the kids are not under a lot of, even when they play at the highest level when they're really young, they're not under they don't appear to be under a lot of pressure from the teams as a matter of yeah. fact i actually think it's slightly a problem 
that they don't they don't hold them to a high standard but that's my personal opinion so i don't think they're under a lot of they don't appear to be under a lot of pressure from the teams the pressure they're going to receive will be from their parents and this is not like bashing them i mean that, that's just a logical pressure right and then some parents handle it well some parents don't so the biggest pressure if i had to interview 100 kids it would be from probably making their parents happy yeah and then pressure that they put on themselves but it's not really a pressure like if i i'm man i missed that goal i might get cut this season but when you step into those academy environments and again you may not have a view on it then that's totally fine i'm just gonna ask the question and then you let me know do you sense a difference though in terms of the level of pressure because they're wearing a west brom shirt I would say, yeah, I mean, like, like I said, I haven't worked within an academy environments, but I, I know a lot of coaches who have, and, and I've worked with a lot of parents who, whose children have been in that environment, and the, the ones who have taken them out have always stated that the environment was just too much pressure for them. It, there was, um, you know, it, they would feel like if they didn't play well for a few games, then they'll be out of the team and or you know they'll be, they'll be asked questions by their coach um and obviously they would also be looking at their you know their peers as well and how they're getting on and comparing themselves a lot as well but and they say what the problem which is just what i got from the parents that the club does the clubs don't tend to do enough to change the environment and make it just more about the development of the players and not concentrate on you know their their trying to better each other or trying to get the results, um, win the games and, and, and so forth. Um, they, they, they really, they really try and they really make it more of an adult environment, if you get what I mean. And it's not really about, you know, the players just learning and developing and trying to get better so they can actually get to that elite level. Um, that's just the, that's just what I hear from a lot of parents that I work with. So let me um, let me unpack that, and then I think, man, you've answered most of the questions. I got a few follow-on questions, and it will be done. Yeah. So from the parents you have spoken to, you've actually met a parent who took their child out of an academy. I've met numerous because, like I said, from bring them to my one-to-one, -one, I get a lot of one-to-one -one players who have come from academies, and um, or you know, or they either currently still play for them, or they've dropped out. And, and and it's normally a similar story that I hear from the parents. You know, the, the, the environment just wasn't good for them. And they all and a lot of the time it's the players have fallen out of love of football because they've had so much pressure put on onto them. And um it it's not what what I hear a lot of parents say, it's not a trial, it's not always a child friendly environment. I mean, some children can handle that, you know, they're quite thick skin, but there, you know, there are kids who who find it really difficult to handle and they prefer to just play, actually play for the local team than actually play for an academy. And so some parents will bring them out until they're a bit older. And um, if let's say a scout comes back in for them again, when they're a bit older, then they'll let them go in, go back in when they feel they can deal with that sort of pressure. But um, yeah, I hear it a lot. I have it, I've had it a lot where the parents have just taken them out because they feel they can't handle it and they're because they're losing their love for the game. And let them play for the local regional regional team instead. But that's a very interesting perspective because yeah. in the states, we don't hear we don't hear that perspective enough. 
in the perspective that I tend to hear is the narrative around you got released from the club and then the negative impact that that has on you because you've invested your entire life and your entire identity into being coming a footballer. But I haven't heard in the perspective of, no, you, you're, you're good enough to play from a talent perspective, mm-hmm. but it's not the most healthy environment. And so as a family, we're going to pull you out of that situation and then reevaluate when you get older. I haven't heard that perspective. As a matter of fact, the perspective I've heard most often is if you don't get it, in, if you don't get in by a certain age, your chances really, really drop. So it's kind of refreshing to hear that we do have um, reflective parents out there who are putting the best interests of the child first. It's, it's unfortunate to hear yeah. that there are environments out there like this. And I think, I think that's a logical you know, conclusion, right, in terms of, uh, of what's happening with these academy systems. If, you have, if you're having meetings every twice a year determining if you're going to be there next year, there's an inherent amount of pressure there and it just yeah. is what it is. And so I, I, I like that. And it's not, not been talked about as much. As a matter of fact, I'm going to do a quick plug on the series we're doing called raising the whole child, where we're going to talk to mental health experts about sort of uh, what we can do to help better prepare our child to be in these environments. And what are some of the symptoms we should be look out to look for if we feel like, uh, this stuff is over overbearing and then what behaviors should we as parents what we should be aware of um, in terms of not pressuring our child even if it's unintentional so for example I'm trying my best to be cognizant of the fact that I don't talk to my son that much I try my best you know knock on wood I'm not very good at it about like why you're doing this and why you're doing that and you know this kid is doing this and you should be doing that and look at this one because that's just not a productive conversation it's just not he he can't comprehend what i'm talking about he's caring all he cares about is what his friends are doing in that moment so those are the types of things that we want to unpack and i can't even imagine having that conversation with him if he was also going to a football environment that was uh, adding a lot of pressure see the, the difference here is at least what i perceive the football environment is probably a little too much fun. We can we got too much fun and not enough learning, yeah. but the home environment is too much pressure and not enough fun. So we're trying to trying to get it get it right. Okay, so I'm gonna wrap up with two or three more questions, and I'm gonna leave it at this. Okay, so in the state, there's a debate about uh, what we call um, playing multi multi sports. The benefits of that the the issues it would have on your skill acquisition as a, a young footballer. How do you feel about multi-sports? What role does it have? What are you seeing in the UK? And that's a fancy way of saying, do, do the children play different sports and not play soccer? Are you seeing that? Or or what are you seeing, basically? Um, it, uh, it does vary. I from Because obviously, I, I, I'm also a PE teacher. So I see it from all aspects and um, kids who obviously are in specialised sports, um, I think it does benefit them if they do play different sports because it, it teaches them um, a lot more, doesn't it? So, for example, you might play a game of basketball, and you, which is a similar type of game to soccer, um, where you invade each other's space and there's 
things that you can carry from that game that you can carry into foot into soccer as well. Um, I, I, over here, I don't think enough kids are encouraged to play different sports. I'm not sure what it's like over there, um, but I I see the kids that do play a lot of different sports and also are very very good, let's say, at soccer as well. Um, tend to be, you know, tend to be a, a more rounded player and, um, and and tend to also, I feel, are also at a higher level as well. And they, they normally take to different sports a lot quicker as well, is what I find. Like, um, there's been numerous occasions where I've seen kids who are really good, really good at football and they go to basketball and it's like they play the game for all their life. Um, I, I think it really does benefit the child and it's something I encourage a lot of, lot of parents to try and do with their kids as well is to get them involved in different sports. Okay, and so I'm going to wrap it up with this final question. So in the UK, or at least your city, from what you see, in terms of parents working with their children, yeah, does that happen? And I mean, like, you know, mom or dad are like, listen, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you're off. We're going to go to the pitch and we're going to train. And you're a personal trainer, so yeah. you'll have probably some insight on that. Now, let me let me tee this up by saying, you know, my wife happens to be African. I lived in London a long time. I know different cultures don't value this type of individualized sort of the parent is going to be out there working with your kids yeah. in sport. They do in academics. <laughs> Yeah, big time. But sport, they don't view sport as anything other than just a leisurely activity. Mm. That's changing, but that's kind of how it is in many cultures. In the States, we're having more of a trend of what I would call the professionalism of, of youth sports, where we're getting more and more out of children. And there's some positives, but there are obviously a lot of negatives there as well. And so what I'd like to ask my guest is, what are you seeing on the ground where you're at? Are parents actively working with their kids or is free play so abundant that they don't, it's just not culturally something they do? Um, I think the, the professional one-to-one -one coaches is, is becoming more popular over here. That's what I'm seeing, um, especially since, since lockdown has happened and everyone's going back into it. Um, there's been a sudden influx of um, personal coaches and a lot of people offering it as well. And more parents over here are happy with the idea of allowing their kids to go to a personal personal soccer coach. Um, I'm, I'm seeing it, yeah, I'm seeing it all over the place now. Really, it, it is becoming more and more popular, um, especially also because less kids over here are playing free play. Or playing out in the you know in the streets or local playing field, it doesn't really happen and hardly any doesn't really happen at all. And um, the very few that do, uh, you can you can instantly tell that they play also in their own time as well. Um, so our, the, those parents who can afford it do look into it. And I I do have more inquiries than I used to have in the in the past. So um, I do feel it's becoming a more popular thing over here. And I think um, as time goes by, it will, it will be probably just as popular as it is over in the States. That's my good feeling on it. Well, so let me be clear. So personal training, like paying someone to actively 
train your child is very popular here. It's always been yeah. what I've seen with the emergence of travel sports and the competitiveness, and that has pros and cons. Yeah. Uh, but it's under not not individually training. That's not necessarily there are not a whole lot of things wrong with that. But I mean the whole umbrella of the professionalism of youth sports, and then individualized training is just one category of that. But what we have a lot of uh, listeners here who have young children, and they want to get an idea, at least a feedback of, if I, and again, this is a hard question, so you will have zero, you may not have a clue on it at all. We're just having a conversation about this. Yeah. If I went to the academy and I saw the kids, and there was 10 kids there, how many of them are getting some type of supplemental training Let's just start with either from the parent or from a trainer outside of that academy environment. They were getting that type of training before they entered into that academy environment. Because what we're trying to do is what I like to ask my guests is we're trying to see, like, literally, is it, is there any relationship that anybody has seen between, yeah, mom and dad took a special interest and took this kid to the park. Tuesdays and Thursdays and train with them or they hired someone like you to train with them and as a result they got this result or no there's these kids out here or people out here that didn't do any of that but they're just so they play so much and they're so good and then the academy sees that talent and then the academy refines that talent um, once they receive them that's what we're trying to unpack. I would say I would still say um it still more outweighs the kids playing amongst other friends and um, I'm probably now mainly in school uh, you know in the playgrounds with their friends them just playing constantly as much as the school allows it to or you'll get the one you'll get the odd few who do play with their friends outside of school time um, uh, I think mainly more so because of a cost a cost perspective if whether they can afford it but um, I would say on a an academy or pre before the academy, if I was to give an average, probably out of the academy teams, maybe maybe two to three of those players might be getting personal training. Um, that's just me guessing on an average. I don't know how popular popular it is and how many people do it. Um, but I still think um, you know kids playing on their own accord or playing within schools, just playing with their friends is probably the main source of way kids tend to get it. Um, I'm seeing more parents going out and working with their kids now, which I, I believe is a positive. Um, but um, I still don't think it happens enough um, or is encouraged enough for kids, for parents to help try and help support their parents, or try, sorry, for parents to help support their children, training with their children. Um, but it, it, it's more, like I said, I don't know what it's like over the States, but it's more seen as a way of supplementing the children's current team training. And that's the way it's more viewed over here. Uh, and in my opinion, it's, it's the way it really should be as a way of supplementing because it can never really take over team training, um, personal, personal training. That's, at some point, they have to be working with other players. Yeah, so, and that's my opinion as well. I think all of this is, you know, you know, use everything in your toolbox, be reasonable and understand you're dealing with a child. 
And so we're going to wrap it up here. And you were saying you didn't know exactly. So from what I see from the state's perspective, there is more and more individualized, specialized training. Yeah. That then that then means that these kids who are receiving that individual specialized training tend to be more technical. What I'm not sure about is if they love the game and are playing on their own outside of this, outside of the individualized training they're receiving. So like you, I mean, I don't have a view. I just see them in the park and I just see them and they're getting trained. And I imagine that that has some benefits in their soccer journey. But what I worry a little bit about is the lack of free play. And so we'll have to see how that goes. Now, what I haven't seen yet, because my boys are pretty young, because soccer is not our most popular sport by far, I haven't seen the kids who don't get individualized training be head and shoulders above kids who do. And that's what I really want to unpack. So like basketball, for example, I grew up with people, they didn't need any individualized training. You know, you, you could have trained for 10 hours a day and you're just not going to be able to deal with this person who is, you know, yeah, a superhuman. But I can't really picture that in soccer. So that's just wanted to have that conversation with you. So, God, hey, Curtis, this has been a wonderful, wonderful uh, show. We really learned a lot about the details of football in Birmingham. And I know it's kind of a weird conversation, but the, hopefully my local, listen, my local listeners and my loyal listeners uh, appreciate the fact that we really want to walk away understanding that, hey, if we transplanted, if we went to Birmingham and we wanted to play football, number one, we would look you up for some great uh, training. But number two, and I lost my notes, but we would know that there are these five or six leagues that you entry points that you can get into from the uh, regional leagues to MJPL to the JPL to the pre-academy to the developmental league to the academy all the way up to the pro. And then this is how, sort of how these things work. And I just found that information to be very helpful because that allows me to picture what it would be like if my child played soccer in Birmingham. So Curtis, tell us again the name of your organization and tell us your website and then, um, and then we'll wrap it up and then I'll share, when I share this on Facebook, I'll give you a shout out and folks can reach out to you and ask some follow-up questions. Uh, yeah, of course. Um, my, uh, my, the name of my organization is Let's Play the Game and the website is letsplaythegame.co.uk. Um, if you want to look at the blog, because I have a blog as well, you just add slash blog to that. Um, the best way to reach me would be on, on Facebook. We all, I also have a Facebook page, which is also called Let's Play the Game. So put a search in that and you should find that. And um, those are my main places that where I tend to hang out. And um, yeah, that's basically it. All right. So Curtis, I will share that information with our group today and let them know to expect your interview. And then, and then make sure you say hello to many of our local, uh, I keep saying local, our loyal listeners. Now, this has been the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford. I'm your host. And I'm also the founder of anytime-soccer.com. It's anytime soccer training. We'll host over 1,000 100% 
follow along videos covering all the major areas of individual skill development. If you haven't checked out um, the website, go to anytime-soccer.com, collect your 50 free ball mastery and juggling videos as well. This has been a wonderful show. Thank you, Curtis, and let's get better together.